Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD, this time with US service design pioneer Patrick Quattlebaum. As many of you will probably know by now, my name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm a service designer based in Ireland. And I offer service design training, user experience design training, and also my visualization methods for Changemakers course, which is now on my website, and offer this to in-house in businesses. So if you're in an organization looking for training, please do get in touch. So let me tell you a little bit about Patrick. Patrick's the former managing director of Adaptive Path, one of the global leaders in the fields of service design, and laid the path for many organizations in the US to explore the world of service design. Now, I caught up with Patrick in person in 2018, just as Rosenfeld Media published Patrick's book, Orchestrating Experiences, that he co-wrote with Chris Risden around May of that year, I think it was. And later on that year, I was back in Dublin, but wasn't able to connect in person at the Service Design Global Conference, which Patrick was keynoting at in Dublin, as I was hosting Service Design Days in Barcelona. But nevertheless, we connected very early, and I picked Patrick up from his hotel very early on a Sunday morning, I remember, and drove him around all the places of interest uh, in Dublin, stopping off for a big breakfast and lots of coffees. It was during this time that Patrick laid out to me what he was working on and was about to launch Harmonic. And it sounded awesome. This was a, a really cool studio, a design studio based in Atlanta. Still is. And this conversation really is about the pioneer's journey of that discovery, but to see the studio grow and navigate the lows of the pandemic. Now I asked Patrick pretty pointed questions about aligning to his purpose and even stuff like what does a good client look like? And also, what does a bad client look like for Harmonic? Before we jump in, though, I want to pay a special thanks to today's sponsor on the show, Miro. Miro allowed me to say whatever I like about their sponsorship of this show, and they gave me total freedom to demonstrate to you why I believe in what they do, which is very much like their product when you think about it. Miro really allows you to create spaces that you dictate to work alongside with other people to create artifacts that align. So whether that be visual canvases like journey mapping or empathy maps, or even rough prototypes for interfaces or services, you can really use it for a lot of the important things that we as changemakers use on a day-to-day basis. So check out miro.com forward slash podcast, where you get three free canvases for life. It's really awesome. I use it and I totally recommend it. But back to this episode, well, this conversation is perfect for anyone looking to learn more about Patrick's journey post-adaptive path in that acquisition to Capital One, then leaving Capital One and publishing the Orchestrating Experiences book, all whilst launching Harmonic in the background for a few years. Patrick's really awesome. I love chatting with him. And this conversation is really free-flowing and jam-packed with amazing tidbits of knowledge. I know you're going to love it. So let's jump in. Patrick Quattlebaum, a very warm welcome back onto the podcast. We were just talking about how long ago it was that we actually caught up and it was 2018. Hard to believe. How have you been? I've been well. I know. I probably could compare notes of what it was like in between with the adventure of how life and work have changed. But uh, yeah, overall, really, really well. So for people who don't know Patrick, Patrick is one of the co-authors of Orchestrating Experiences on Rosenfeld. Fantastic book. 
if you haven't picked up a copy of it, it's available on Rosenfeld Media's website. Thoroughly recommend. But we were just chatting, it was May 2018 when that, when that happened. And something special also happened at that time as well, Patrick. What was that? Oh, well, it started, my partner James started a studio here, started in Atlanta and it's grown since, but yeah, a, a company focused on service design and kind of leading with that as our, as our offering and term five years old. Which is uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Like, yeah, we were just chatting about the, the, the lack of, well, I was chatting about the lack of independent studios um, around the world and what that means. And it's, it's fantastic to see Harmonic grow from strength to strength, especially in the US, because there's quite a large listenership. And this is 8CD in the US. So for our listeners, maybe talk about, you know, the early stages of you know, harmonic. What was it like way back in the start? Because you exited Adaptive Path and Capital One. And... Oh yeah. So yeah. What's the shorter version? <laughs> yeah. Very fortunate to work at Adaptive Path. Yeah. Great group of people. You know, and one of the things that attracted me to joining that team was the. Like, growing emphasis on service design in the practice mm. and they go work with some really talented folks i think some of what you've had on here i'm sure yeah. and uh, you know as many people may know that was acquired by capital one which was you know a great opportunity to you know at the time and service design is is matured so much around the world or in the u.s since then but they instantly have almost a 20 person service design team, you know, within a, an organization that was rapidly maturing design and, you know, great experience seeing that adoption of more strategic design approaches and service design within the, the culture there. But I, I moved, I was in San Francisco and my family moved back here to Atlanta to be closer to family and friends. And Chris and I were trying to finish the book, which was an adventure in trying to be consultants and then going through an acquisition. We became head of design for the innovation group at, at Capital One. So, you know, we Rosenfeld and our editor, Marta, <laughs> were put, but definitely asking, can you finish? So I yeah. thought I was going to come back here and, and finish the book, but I, I ended up, I did, we did finish it, but I ended up meeting up with some people I had worked with before and it just kind of organically became a company and started gathering some really talented folks here in Atlanta and over 18 months. And then when we decided to actually make it a go as mm. a studio, it was around the time the book came out, it was kind of happenstance. And it's, uh, definitely a, um, been, you know, very rewarding to, to, you know, build a team, you know, focused on service design here and to, to do that in very adventurous times. I know it's, you had a period there of two or three years where there was a lot of change. You had the acquisition, the book, Capital One and Harmonic all happening within a period of two, three years. Mm -hmm. That level of change, what was that like at a personal level? How, how did you cope with the, like that was, that's an awful lot of kind of bouncing around because you were in San Francisco and then uh, moving to Atlanta. It's, 
there's a lot to take on there. Yes. How did I? Because we can talk about how amazing it is. I was having this conversation the other day, and I would say, lessons learned, care of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, some of it you're running off of adrenaline, and it was Mm. very exciting and a lot of things happening. But it was, yeah, on a personal level, it, you know, I don't know. For entrepreneurs, they know this. It's not a nine to five, much less a nine to nine job. It is. 24 seven, it's always on your mind. And so in the, the, I, I would say that if in going through all that, very exciting, but also lots of exhaustion and, and moments where the, especially when this pandemic started that happened of how do you, how do you take care of yourself and take care of everyone around you? And it's, you know, I think that. I learned a lot about and still learning about the importance of self-care as you, as you do all of that. Yeah. And uh, so that, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole deep topic, (laughs) but yeah, to be honest, it was, it was very challenging times, very rewarding, but yeah, I think I learned a lot about myself uh, as I went through that. I find it really interesting because like that's a lot of success and a lot of change and happening in a, in a pretty short amount of time and then five years in the last five years harmonic has you know has grown through a massive amount of change in the pandemic are you okay to talk a little bit more around how you actually remain centered towards your purpose because i remember when we were speaking about mm-hmm. we had breakfast together folks many years ago i gave patrick the tour of dublin in the car and we went down to I think, was it Monkstown? I think it was Monkstown we went for. Yes, a lo- lovely place where they, they pay you if you want a refill of coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Nice service touch. <laughs> I do remember that. But how do you stay on course? Because he, he, that's kicking goals for, for people who are on the sidelines looking at that. Like, you know, you've set up a business, you've hit five years, which is a milestone. You've remained independent and true to your own kind of purpose of why you set the business up. What are the things that you do on a, either a day-to-day or a week-by-week or a month-by-month or a quarter-by-quarter basis that aligns to your purpose and why you actually do what you do? Well, I, I think a, a big ingredient for us has been, and, and definitely with growth, it gets a little more challenging is is to, you know, continue to have an open dialogue within our organization. So, you know, when we formed that we're doing this together. So when we, when we formed the company, Mm. you know, we didn't say, Hey, everybody, welcome to the company. Here are our values for for an example, those emerge over time and continue to, we continue to reflect on like in working together what makes us successful, you know, together and what do we value and honoring those constantly. And the same thing with purpose, you know, when James and I started the company, we had ideas, we had a vision, we had a a good starting point, but, you know, we took a step back as a organization about a year ago, a little over a year ago and said, let's take a step back and rethink what, what are we doing? 
why are we doing it hmm. and crystallize you know the purpose to one another and then then continually connect back what we're doing and, and to that as our as our touchstone and i think where we're constantly you know trying to to thread the needle on you know, there's a mental model of what if we if we say service design and we and we're we're very forward in saying that's what we do. Now that has challenges because often many people don't understand what that means or they they have a mental model of what it is. So we're always trying to spread this needle of like, well, our purpose is ultimately to create these outcomes we want to see in the world. Service design is a way that we do it. We want people to understand that service design is a, a practice that helps them achieve that. But also to, to not, to continue to push ourselves on even what that, what service design means, that it's not static. So, you know, there's a purpose in a belief system of that, you know, I think the way that we, we're aligned around what we're trying to do is, you know, we see that the, the world is made of services and that people participate and are impacted by them in different ways and that, uh, you know, how do you create healthy systems of service and do that in a way that meets organizations where they're at and help them evolve. Now, the ways we do that will change over time. But just trying to go back to that touchstone over and over and saying, are we doing a good job? How can we get better at it? Challenge our, challenge our practice constantly. And, and not rest, you know, not, not rest on our laurels, not just to like be competitive, but to be impact, you know, to create that impact you want to. So what, what kind of work does harmonic tend to be approached with and how do you approach that? Cause I, I noticed on the website and I really like the framing of with organizations and within organizations, mm-hmm. maybe talk a little bit more around the the kind of the nuances of the approaches and how you actually approach both of those two different services. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, one of the, one of the things that we, we do is we, we take, we do a look, we do experiments to see where, where can we add value? So, you know, and what people approach us for, what we approach them for, you know, when I look at the patterns over the last five years, what's interesting is the people that have hired us, it, if you, if you like map that, you would see a whole work chart. So it's not, oh, it's innovation teams hire us or marketing teams hire us or operations. Like it's all of those at different companies. And it's, it's often, it's kind of what Chris and I wrote about in the book. It's often somebody who is the, is the florist thinker. <laughs> They're yeah. like, okay, how does all of this connect? What's the big picture? But, you know, the, our work spans, you know, in some cases we're doing, we're doing helping organizations develop, you know, essentially come up with strategies for new services. But in doing that, helping them build capacity and capabilities within their organization to make design part of that work. So, so, so say of saying having a, what can we do with AI, right? It, what are the neat, what are the opportunities to create value? What is our offering? What capabilities do we need? Therefore, where does AI sit? And so using the, 
approaches of service design to bake things into innovation rather than, and, and using service dominant logic and other approaches and kind of challenging more of the traditional, you know, product led approaches and innovation. In other cases, it, there's a lot of the work of companies, many companies have started to really want to move in, in the use of journeys from not just strategy, but to, op, op, to operations and to yeah. management. So we're getting more and more requests to help guide them through that, that chain, either helping, you know, understand how to architect what are the journeys, but, but also more around the, like, how do they shift the culture and the competencies to start moving to actually making that what they operate around, right. Versus just yeah. another framework or another approach on top of a, a bunch of others. And then, you know, we work with a lot of design teams. Yeah. You know, a lot of design leaders, there's like two challenges that we see often. One is being able to connect better to strategy or to be able to move beyond digital. Yeah. So a lot of design teams in the U.S. have been built around a digital product and report to product. But the opportunity for design is much more, is more broadly than that. And actually that would help product be more successful in a lot of older organizations. Where yeah. they're try where they're butting up against the old business, and so that's another area that uh, that that those design teams like how do we how do we go beyond product and digital? Yeah, I mean, I love that. I I had a similar quandary in Australia when I was when I was out there. The technology brought me in, and I was like, look, you know you've brought me in, it's great, but really the opportunity is beyond this. It's working with product and it's working with business and kind of elevating yourself to, to sit beyond that, but selling in the, the outcome of being, you're going to get a better outcome with the customer if you actually all work together, as opposed to retaining me under this shell of technology. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really liked there, and one of the questions I really wanted to sort of delve a little bit deeper in. When you're being brought in by say product, okay. Cause product has got a, as a big mm -hmm. kind of stronghold, especially in the States products, see the value in service thinking. Sometimes whenever you are brought in from a product management perspective and you talk about some of this stuff, it can actually conflict with their own approaches and giving you yes. the, the carte blanche. Yes. How do you handle that? What's your thoughts on on getting around this because it, it, it's a very personal thing. It's you're basically saying, Hey, listen, look, we need to look at a more zoomed out perspective. And just so you're aware, you may be part of this problem as well. And they're like, Hey, we thought you were going to be our friend. You've brought us in here and now you're potentially like that whole quandary is one that I hear time and time again. And I'd love to get your perspective on it. Yeah. You know, yeah, the context is, is important, right? So mm. they're definitely, so I've had, you know, our model and the model I've worked in a lot of my career is, is very blended and embedded with clients. So I've had the opportunity to be front row seat and, and actually deeply involved in when organizations have, been, have shifted yeah. to product management and agile. 
And, and I was having a conversation with some agile coaches the other day and they were asking kind of what we do. And they're like, oh, well, that's what product management is. Yeah. Useful and usable, useful and usable. That's like of everything I said, the only, the thing that, that, that he took away was useful and usable. It's like, and I, and I think what the, what we try to do is focus on the, there's a, there's a common pain that organizations have, even as they shifted and say they've been able to move to agile, mature product management. It is very reductionist by nature. Like yeah. it just comes with the territory. And, and there's a, there's a pain that a lot of people feel within the organization, including the product leadership, which is we set these, especially if they're doing OKRs, we set these strategic outcomes. And then it's like a, everyone sets their OKRs at a team level. And it's like a starting gun going off and people go different directions. And so who feels that pain, right? Strategists brand, yeah. marketing, enterprise architects, all the people that are like, what, how does all this fit together? Yeah. Um, and some of them see issues with like, if you're a brand person, uh, we see inconsistent brand, right? If you're a marketing person, we promise this, you're delivering that. If you are a enterprise architect, why did we create five of the same capabilities and five different That's waste. Now, all of those team members, all those functions are also told you slow us down. So that's where the action is. <laughs> so we, that's where we kind of step in and we're like, okay, how did we start to address those dynamics? Like, is there a way, what's the third way? If, if, there's, a, if there's a tension of like, we can't, been months and months and months trying to figure something out and then just then execute. But also if we just execute and see what happened. Hmm. What's Where's the... the third way? So, and I don't pretend to have solved me, but that's where the action is. And I think yeah. that's where service design offers such a that so much value. Yeah. Coherence. Um, yeah. 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 But you have to do it. And the challenge is like, how do you do it in nimble, hmm. adaptive ways? The way that we have, the way that we've been doing it, experimenting with it, are experiments, right? So we've had clients where we're like, let's, can, let's take, well, you know, I had a client where like, there's that, that messy middle between strategy and, and agile teams. So we did a small project. We came up with a methodology together. And what they didn't do was say, hey, we're all going to do this. They said, let's try it out. And they tried it on an initiative and it got to better outcome. And yeah. so they could point to it. Right. And, and so it's, it's a little bit of that, like mapping the system of where can we start to address and show change and then let it build yeah. versus these kind of top down transformational approaches, because I don't know, maybe, maybe some, some service desires have been fortunate to have this opportunity, but we're often not being asked to do top-down transformational change where the C-level is writing us a big check, like digital transformation or agility, things like that. So we have to be scrappier and we yeah. have to be experimental. We have to prove the value of 
of the of this co- creating this coherence, right? And some of that's frameworks, some yeah. of that new methods, some of that is you know individual interactions of how teams yeah. work together. One of the frameworks that I guess I think when we we were chatting many years ago was thinking at the different Zoom levels and talking about journey maps and how they can provide a coherence at a management level. And I know, you know, Mark, Mark has created this, this framework of journey map operations and Richard McMurray, someone I know in the UK, I know has caught up with you a couple of times, yep. wrote an article about uh, how organizations struggle to think in different Zoom levels. And yep. it's, it was a really, you know, it's a catchy title and I'll put a link to that in, in the show notes as well. But what I'm really keen to understand is your perspective on what are the struggles that you've seen when working within organizations that organizations sometimes have to be able to think, and I mean, think in air quotes there, beyond their own silos and work in that way. And the second part of that question is, what can we do about it? What, what, what advice would you give to people who are in that situation? Yeah, I love Richard's summary. You know, that's something that, yeah, there's, 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 there's good thinking out there on zooms or scale, you know, different yeah. scales. And then, you know, the, the higher scales of where the intersection of, you know, if you think of service design, you know, there's service, there's elements of service design that have its roots way back in like engineering, but human-centered design, but the, the intersection really with systems thinking, organizational design, that, that's kind of how we think about it. Yeah. So there's these scales of, or levels of Zoom where, you know, often that's that part that's skipped. And that, that's where like, again, that example of enterprise architects where like they, that profession been really disrupted by Agile because by the time they created a, a architectural diagram a bunch of stuff's been made right so and so same service designers have the same challenge like you know oh by the time we 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 have confidence in a you know this should be the journey there are there's work already underway you know and now current state is now current state changes every day right so like how do you how do you be nimble in that but so I would say that the, the, I don't think organizations are, are very good at this. And I think they think work, this happens in pocket. So this is, I mean, this would be my Take theory it. of watching organizations is there's these pockets of like a strategy team or within marketing, a marketing strategy team, the architects, there's these different groups. Yeah. that are trying to work at higher levels of Zoom and they're struggling within their own functional area to make, to, to, to balance, like how do we be intentional but move swiftly, right, as an organization? And I, that's a little bit of the talk that I gave in Dublin when, when I saw you was, you know, the, to me the answer is how do we get those people together? Yeah. And how do we create methods that to, to, and approaches within organization to try to have more intentional activity at higher levels of scale 
without falling into the trap of you're slowing everything down around here. Right. That's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, um, it, it, one thing I, I consult with clients a lot about is, you know, these things, they do take time and you can lean them and you can do them, you know, quick, more quickly than, than not. But often it's not the time that it takes to do something. It's the timing. So I would say that's the other thing is the worst thing you can do is work at a higher level of scale when a big part of the organization is really already working at a lower one and it's gone, right? And you're, you yeah. just missed your window to be able to inform to catch it. The, the work that they understand that they're all working towards that thicker thing. Yeah. You know, and that timing is so critical. And that's and, where a lot of service designers get stuck is they're trying to do the work, but it, it's too late. Well, that's the highlight quote, folks. I love that. It's not, it, it, the timing is really important. I'm kind of seeing it like a big group of people doing a relay race and they've set off and you come back and they've already bolted. So what do you, what do you advise to people in terms of, in order to be able to identify the right timing? Who, who do you need to align with? Is it scrum? Is it scrum of scrums? Is it agile? Is it what, what, like there's so many terminologies. Yeah. <laughs> who tends to coordinate and dictate the timing in organizations of when stuff is, is it when the financial reports get done and then a couple of months after that where things are being siphoned out into what the OKRs are going to be I mean part of it is you know what horizon line are we talking about like when I was at Capital One one activity we did right after we got acquired yeah and a lot of the design leaders got together with the organization and we just mapped the work that design was being asked to do. Yeah. And where that landed on, you know, to put it simply like optimizing, uh, taking something like a part of the business and like rethinking it, but, you know, maybe changing the experience or sharpening aspects of it. But it's like, it's part of the business today versus new offerings, right? New stuff, true, true, like stretching the boundaries of what the organization's mm -hmm. offering. And so, so the first thing is, is like, well, how much of the design work is in that bottom left-hand corner of like tactical and urgent versus, yeah. you know, so, so part of it is like, what are those rhythms around attaching to, if we're looking at new things where the company's going, though, that space is a little, it does move a little bit more slowly right and yeah. there's pressure to, to have get clarity sooner and then it's it's sometimes very obvious when it's hey we have a service we're looking at the data we need to improve performance yeah that middle part in between of like okay what are we really trying to accomplish and who are forming the strategies for investment you know if we're if we are an organization they were a b2b organization and we we on regularly onboard clients onto our XYZ. Um, is it time to like fundamentally rethink how we onboard our customers or, or, and we need a new vision for it or, or are we just going through, you know, continuous improvement? 
And where are we in the health and the life cycle of that? So I think it's identifying the people that attach to those horizon lines and then positioning design at a minimum of where where is the assessment happening of where are the areas of the business that we are either looking to rethink something that is complicated or complex enough to, to need service design. Yeah. And that it's more than just optimization because we should be adding value for that as well. But yeah, there's that space in between. There's all these debates that happen within organizations of should we invest in, you know, like it's time to rethink it. Right. Yeah. So who are the rethinkers? And with it in an agile environment, it is not the team of teams or the scrum of scrums. It's higher, right? Yeah. Because you're only seeing three, six months out in in most agile approaches. And you're really just validating someone else's idea. So where are we shaping those ideas at a higher level to move those into different agile teams for them to validate further from their perspective, what they have authority over, how can we make this overall design yeah. of something that's more than a couple of product teams, right? Work, you know, and be well designed. One of the things that I really like to bring into those kind of conversations is Kinevan. I don't know if you know Kinevan framework by Dave Snowden. It's a great framework for helping identify the nuances between complex and complicated. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the things that I spoke about, I was doing a keynote in UX Scotland two weeks ago, and I spoke about the nuances of, of when design is needed and not always design is needed. And it's, it's a shock to some people when they're like, what? What do you mean we're not, we're not invited to every single meeting in the whole world? But it, it, th that nuance of complicated and complex is really, really important. It seems like a nuance, but it's actually a distinction. No, I agree. Yeah, that, that's a, we use a framework like that to help uh, when we're building these approaches in companies and we use it for ourselves. And I mean, it helps you understand where you can add the most value. Yeah. But also, yeah, and this is where in helping organizations, you know, build these approaches into them and, and starting to understand that not every challenge is the same. Yeah. And that by identifying the, and so it's like, oh, you know, I'll, you know, I'll hear something like, well, service design typically takes X. And it's like, well, what do you mean by typical? And so what we, we use frameworks like that to like identify, okay, so how simple to complex is it? And then what's our ambition? Yeah. So, you know, we're, if our ambition is we want to do something disruptive and new in a very complex space, then maybe very simplistic lean product design approaches are probably not going to get you there from a strategic standpoint, right? Yeah. If it's something that is relatively straightforward and we're just doing service performance, why would we throw the kitchen sink at something like that? <laughs> you know, and so it's that precision that I think is, is really important. So, yeah, so we've really similarly, we've really been using the language coming from, you know, systems thinking, you know, complicated, complex, and a lot of our way to communicate for clients and train yeah. people on identifying what is your challenge and, and not even just at a 
at a like as you're the, at the beginning you're trying to decide you engage but at a situational level so now you're in the work yeah and now you find yourself in this situation what are you dealing with because we we know that sometimes something on the surface seems simple and it's not or we thought it was complex and it wasn't so how do you that's where the nimbleness comes at is yeah we're in this situation what are we dealing with and given the complexity and what we're trying to accomplish what's our best next move yeah right that's the chess game that i think service design and designers need to like get really good at and when you put a a team of consultants in an organization it's that first couple of four to six weeks when they can really you know get their feet on the ground and understand the situation and being able to feed back and say actually this isn't a complex problem this is a complicated problem and all we need really here is good practice we're able to approach this stuff and uh, tackle it much easier yeah. than we, we can break it apart and understand it whereas if it is pretty complex and it by pretty complex, I just mean complex. It requires a different approach. It requires a more of an emergent practice, a more of a, like a really, I guess a training exercise as well and making the client comfortable in the fact that this is a complex problem and we're not going to be able to understand it. And we're going to have to be able to nudge the system over time to really hopefully get it into that complicated zone of being able to break it apart and understand it. Yeah. No, I, I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the experiment that we encourage yeah. our clients to do is it's trying to shift that. Of, yeah. You, as you see more clearly, you can shift what you're doing to being, like said, the right next thing to do. Right. Mm. And so how do you build that? How do you lean into that emergence? How do you lean into changing how you're working together and then like as we work with clients like building our agreements with them to where that doesn't you know a traditional like agency approach which we try to avoid this is like well that's a change order right it's like well there's gonna be change so how do we you know we've been experimenting like how we build our partnerships and our contracts to like can we just embrace that it's gonna change and that if we have to submit paperwork constantly. That's not the best way to work. And no one wants to do that paperwork. And we've had a lot of success with that. Um, yeah. It, it definitely creates challenges in terms of um, how we navigate that together, have those hard conversations, educate one another because they can see things we can't, they can see things they can't. Um, but that's the right thing to try to do, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think a value of, of external parties like us and that partnership in is uh, is by working in a very collaborative way, but that we're also, we have that, a little bit of that perspective that they don't, and that's very yeah. valuable. While at the same time, not, not having, you know, our goal is not to, companies can't do service design unless they use a company like us. Our goal is have more service design in more organizations and we'll, we'll bet on we're still valuable, you know? Yeah. Come here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the conversation in a different direction, okay? Sure. Because when we spoke in 2018, or we're catching up again now, the conversation has shifted somewhat. A few things have happened in between in the last five years. Where do you see things going for harmonic and service design in the US over the next, say, 6, 12, 18 months? And who are you looking towards 
to increase your learning that makes you more aware and increase your knowledge in those areas that you're hopefully going to see service design emerge into? Um, we, our approach has been increasingly, so uh, Stephen Taylor from IT and he's kind of a philosopher and very good at summarizing things. You know, a couple of years, two years ago said, you know, as he started to do more service design with us, it's like, okay, I get it. The, the material of service design is the organization. Yeah. And what he meant by that is, is that, you know, if you're looking to create coherence, connect the dot, you know, create harmony across these systems, it all comes down to people that work in that organization. And yeah. so we have increasingly leaned more and more into organizational design coaching approaches with organizations more and more looking at how do you create a climate within organizations and more of an orientation to service yeah which is not which is very different than say a a digital transformation approach or how does service design bring more value to companies trying to shift to to more being more digitally, you know, successful and moving to agile and stuff like that. That's stuff we, we work with, but I think for us, and I think what I would, what I would encourage more service designers to, to think about is that organizational aspect of it and not the goal of not being like the Uber facilitators of the whole organization, but to, to your point earlier about like, how do you change the system within the organization little yeah. by little to where the, you know, a greater service orientation, use of design approaches at all those levels of design become more and more of the fabric of the organization and that, you know, it's not unlike when Jamin Hegeman presented at the SCN conference years ago and said, you got to give it away. Like, I think we're still in that we need more people and organizations to adopt these mindsets and approaches. Sure. And so for Harmonic, I think that's where our more and more of our building our competencies and capabilities get better and better at that. And so therefore we've been getting a lot of inspiration from, you know, looking at, like, I, I really like the, uh, the Raven work book and the company behind it. So like looking at, you know, they have this, you know, approach of like looking at the operating system of an organization and. You know, we've been experimenting with aspects of that in our work and built pulley from that, you know, we've been having our team members get certified in coaching approaches because a lot of what we're often doing is helping build competencies within organizations and we want to get better and better at doing that. So that's where we're taking, I mean, in addition to taking, you know, working at a lot of the, you know, this, I love this book. The, yeah. yeah so you know where you've just where they are for people on the podcast maybe call it the book because oh yeah design journeys through complex systems who wrote the book practice tools for systemic design peter jones and crystal van ale it's you know i 
I, I think this, and I see more and more of it in, in practice, you've mentioned that I think this, uh, just looking at like sus- systemic service design, right? Bringing in more of these concepts of like, how do we deal with emergence? How do we um, move from complex to complicated? How do we use approaches that have been developed in other disciplines that could help others see what they're dealing with and then use our design craft to help visualize it and then connect yeah. that to humans? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So we get a lot of inspiration from uh, and have been, you know, for years, but increasingly that's where we're seeing the need within organizations. Now there's need and want. And so I think that's still the challenge when we're, we're pushing on the edges of, you know, what you were talking about before of the different scales and having organizations, I understand the benefits of investing and scales and this type of work is yeah. that they don't invest enough in, right? So that's the, that would be the other thing. I hope 18 months from now, we're just sharpening more and more how help people understand the value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have one last question before we, before we start wrapping up because I'm conscious of your time. Yep. What, what does a good client look like for harmonic design? And what does a bad client look like for harmonic design? And that's just generally for- Yeah, I mean, a, a, a bad client business. would be kind of, we 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 expect you to kind of be a black box of design and bring us the goods and present yeah. to us and we'll tell you if it's good or not. And we don't have many clients like that. We 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 uh, through so, our sales no. process we we kind of yeah. I mean we we want to work very collaboratively. We want to work in a very blended fashion. We mm-hmm. look for a client to want to experiment and try new things. They also want to build these practices into their organization and not have it be an outsource, you know, skill that they use occasionally. And so we look for clients, you know, the way I think about it is like, there's kind of three, often three things that we're trying that we look for clients who want to do three things at the same time. So one is there's some specific initiative that they want to to create value in their organization for, and that these approaches can bring value to it. And it's a, and it helps demonstrate, you know, the bad is needed more in the organization. So it's not academic, it's not just trading. It's like, what's a real thing we can move the needle on around here. Meanwhile, that they're often that they're looking to build these competencies in their organization, if not build a team. And yeah. so they're, they either have a team that's looking to expand their capacity and show the value of service design more broadly, or they're looking to build that team. So how do we help them mature service design? Yeah. And then the, the last one is, then there's some ambition that the company is either wanting to be, you know, customer centric or whatever label they would put on it. And they're trying, they're trying to move that, you know, like we want to be more customer centric or we want to be more service oriented or want to shift to journeys as an operational approach or some bigger ambition. So. Yeah. Clients that we can play on those three different kind of horizons together, they get the most out of us. And we, and we, that's what we really look for. Cause we love to do the hard work to like make better services. Yeah. But also we want to help change organizations. Right. And so, and be of service in that. 
And so where there's those ambitions and they're not, you know, where they want to engage us and being a real partner and how to do those three things at, at the same time, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Well, look, Patrick, if people want to connect with you, I'll put a link to Studio's website. In the show notes, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn as well. Are you on any other social media at the moment? Are you on Threads? Just threads, yes. Just what? No, LinkedIn is the best place. I'm, I yes, I'm, I'm in that gray area. Where, where do I go? I, I think I've set up things on multiple places, but not, not, not really adopted anything yet. So yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the one that's still standing on four legs at the moment, folks. But look, Patrick, thank you so much for your time, your openness. Your vulnerability as well has been put in the spot because that's been a pretty free-flowing conversation. So thank you so much. It's been brilliant speaking to you again.